Hey, good morning. It is great to see you guys. I have missed you. And uh, I want you to know that, uh, man, I've been praying for you guys uh, during my time away. And uh, it was wonderful. I'll tell you all about it in the weeks to come. Uh, but one of the things if I just point your attention to is uh, if, if, if you're here before service, you know what I'm talking about. If you come in late, you won't. But every service, what we do is we pray before we launch into the service. And, and we don't do that because we think we should or because it's a churchy thing to do. I just really believe like prayer, it's, it's, it's intimacy with the Father. It's communing with Him. And what I would tell you is if we want to see our world change, if we want to see our life change, uh, it's going to start with us communing with the Father and seeking His kingdom. And God's given us the gift of prayer. And so you'll hear about that as we just kind of continue with, uh, with this series outside of, outside of this. While I was gone, uh, just pumped to hear what God was doing, man. Um, you know, God is using a mission partner down in Laramie, table in the wilderness to take care of firefighters right now. Just so excited to hear how God is using them in a season of turbulence. We're so excited to hear that Walmart came and packed the shack. Want to say thank you to the 900 volunteers who showed up and helped pack meals for the, for the folks down in Nicaragua. I know that we were hoping to pack 200,000 but God always does bigger and better, and so 240,000 meals were packed this weekend. So huge thanks to all of those who financially supported it, uh, who came and, and did the manual labor there. Just want to say thank you. It's over 2 million meals that have been packed throughout uh, our church's history in partnership with them. Uh, we're in this series. It's not supposed to be this way. And I bet there's times in your life where you've said that or you have thought that. Maybe there's a season in your marriage where you're like, I did not sign up for this. It is not supposed to be this way. Maybe that season was extended and you found yourself in a failed marriage and you never thought you'd be there and you're like, it's not supposed to be this way. Maybe the one thing you were looking for more forward to more than anything is having kids and then you had kids and they started imposing their will on you and you started saying, it's not supposed to be this way. I'm smiling right now, but I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday where that happened in my life, and I wasn't smiling, and neither was he. But I was thinking it's not supposed to be this way. One of the hardest things is when somebody gets sick, a cancer diagnosis or some other kind of diagnosis, and you look out and you see everybody, man, enjoying retirement, and you see them enjoying health, and you're like, why me, God? It isn't supposed to be be this way. Or maybe it's the loss of a loved one and you're like, I don't get why I had to lose somebody. You're just like, it's not supposed to be this way. And you would be right in saying that. It's not supposed to be this way. This is not the way God intended it to be. We find ourselves living between two gardens. The garden that was the Garden of Eden before the fall of man, before the fall of Adam and Eve, before sin, it was perfect. God, the standard of good, said what he'd made is good. And then enter the enemy and enter the fall of man where we gave in to sin and we bought the enemy's lies and death and sin spread to all mankind, to all generations, impacting everything. And we find ourselves between what was good and how God will restore all things. He will redeem all things. He will make all things new. But in between that, we find ourselves between two gardens, walking what we call this place called the disappointment gap. And in this study by Lisa Turkhurst, which I absolutely love, 
I read a lot of books on sabbatical. I'm telling you right now that this one makes the top five. When I look back at 2020, this will be one of my favorite, most helpful books that I've ever read. You see what she entitled her book? It's not supposed to be this way. What is she doing? The whole theme of the book is my life is hard right now, but God is faithful. What you need to know is if your life is hard today, there's a God who loves you, who made you, and he is faithful, and he is good. And what I've loved about this study is she has given us permission to say, hey, I'm not doing good. So if you're not doing good and somebody asks you, hey, how are you? Tell them the truth. Or if you're on the backside of a season, man, like God has brought you through that so he can use that in somebody else's life. Hey, you might be able to say I'm doing good, but man, let me tell you what God's done in my life. Let him use that. That's what I've loved about the study. If you take away anything from this study, you take away this. Life is going to be messy. There's not going to be perfect living between these two gardens, but we serve a perfect God who meets us in this place who brings dead people to life, walks with us, and allows us to find life in preparation for the life to come. It was 1862. As we continue to study, man, what we get to talk about today is really important. It was 1862. Our country was engaged in a great civil war. It was the beginning of the war, September 13th, where the Union Army found themselves camped in a place called Fredericks, Maryland. What's so ironic about where they were camped, church, is that they were camped in the very place that the enemy had been camped just days prior. The Confederate Army had held the meadow that the Union Army was now in. Two officers woke up and went exploring and walking around their camp within the safety guidelines. And as they were walking around, they hit the mother load. They found three cigars. Two guys, three cigars. They're like, we're set. They went, somebody reached out and grabbed the cigars and they had to unwrap them. And what they found when they unwrapped the cigars was they got more than they bargained for. This is what they found. This was the Confederate armies. This was the enemy's battle plan. This is how Robert E. Lee was going to squash the Union Army. These guys were so excited. They had just discovered the enemy's tactics. So what did they do with the information that they had received? My guess is they smoked the cigars, and then they ran that up the flagpole. When these, when these uh, battle plans, they arrived on the desk of a general, General George McClellan. He was the, uh, the commanding officer of the Union Army. It was up to him to kind of orchestrate things. God had just given him a miracle. The enemy's battle plans. He knew where and when and how and how many. All he had to do, he had, everything he, could, he had everything he needed to squash the enemy's attacks. Well, if you know much about history and if you know about this part of history, you know that he did not act in a timely manner. Historians in general, uh, Judge George, General George McClellan, harshly, he did not take advantage of the intel he had been given Robert E. Lee found out about the, about, the, uh, about the plans of what happened, and he was able to move his army around. I would just say this. What would have happened had they moved faster? Maybe the Civil War would have been over right then. What would have happened if the general would have orchestrated his troops, taken advantage of the intel, quit self-doubting? What would have happened? Maybe the whole thing could have been avoided. Maybe there could have just been this great peace, the war would have been over, and there could have been peace. 
The reason I'm telling you that story this morning is, see, that story is not too different than our own. Church, I want to tell you something this morning. My prayer, God's prayer, is that we would wake up. We're in a battle. As we talk about it's not supposed to be this way, at this point in the study, what we're going to talk about today is we have an enemy. And we're going to talk about how, over, how we overcome that enemy. You see, God in his goodness, through his word, reveals that we have an enemy. We see the enemy is early, is Genesis chapter 3. Now, we all know him as the devils. We all know him as Satan. But he's far more cunning. His name was actually Lucifer. He was a creation of God. He was an angel that served in the heavenly host, but unlike all other angels, he was more beautiful than all the other angels. He had more, uh, he had more access to the Father than the other angels. He had more influence than the other. He was more beautiful than all the other angels. And at some point, we read that he became the object of his own affection, and he tried a coup. But God is unequal. He is unmatched. Creation always wants what isn't theirs and so God cast him down because God would, not, God would not share his glory. And we read how the enemy tries to always pervert, twist, dupe, and deceive. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see humanity living in the garden. It was good. And we see the enemy come and spread dissension, deceit, lies. And humanity bought into it. And sin and death had spread everywhere. Church, this morning, that enemy is still at it, but he's got a new target. It's you and it's me. It's your kids. It's your grandkids. It's future generations. Man, we better be a praying people. We better be an observant people. I was on a mountain elk hunting on the last month of my sabbatical. I was up, in a, I was up on the mountain. About halfway through the hunt, I ran into another hunter. And I said, hey, dude, how's your hunt going? I mean, I just do that because I like meeting people. And he said, everything changed today. I said, what changed? He said, I was moving in on a herd of elk. The wind shifted, I had to get my wind right, so he's like, I had to backtrack. As he was backtracking, he was looking down into the dust, and he saw his boot prints where he had been. But there was something different about his boot print this time. There was something in his boot print that wasn't there before. It was a mountain lion track. He was, he was on a hunt, but all of a sudden, he was being hunted. And it's his words, not mine. He's like, everything changed. The way I walked through the woods, how alert I am now to the fact that I was being hunted. I was walking through life thinking, man, I'm fine. No, he was being hunted and everything changed. You see, that is a relevant story to a timeless biblical principle. You see, Peter was talking to the church. And this is what he said in 1 Peter 5, 8. He said, stay alert. Stay alert, church. But you see, here's the beauty. Is you don't have to be a part of the church for this to apply to you. See, the enemy is not just the enemy of God. He is the enemy of all people. So if you know somebody who is not walking with Jesus, this message is for them too because the enemy wants to take them down. He wants to take as many people out. But look at what Peter says. He says, be alert. Be a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. We're being hunted right now. But here's the good news. God is, he is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is always present. And the enemy is not equal with him in any way. There is no equality. We are not in jeopardy. The kingdom is not in jeopardy. We don't have to fear the enemy. What does Peter say? He says, stay alert. 
Church, we got to stop sleepwalking through this place between two gardens because we're under attack from a real enemy looking to take us out. You know, the NIV words it that way, but the NLT says, man, we need to not just stay alert. We've got to be aware, be of sober mind. He says, keep a cool head in the message. We've got to be aware we're under attack. We are in a real battle with a real enemy who is cunning, who wants to take us out. But God, in his goodness, reveals to us the enemy's battle plans. He reveals it to us through his word, through the testimony about Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God has equipped us with everything that we need. So as we continue our study between these two gardens, it's not supposed to be this way. I'm gonna just real quickly share with you the enemy's attacks on our lives so that we can stay alert. These are ways he tries to devour us, but I'll also more than anything give you the battle plan. So here we go. The first way that the enemy loves to attack us, and it's not his only tactic, it's just time-tested, is lies. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, if you go all the way back to the first sin, how did he deceive people? How did he deceive Adam and Eve? He's telling lies. He's telling half-truths. Church, we have to stay awake. We have to be alert. The enemy loves to tell us lies. And here's some of his, here's some of his most famous lies that he loves to whisper to us. He loves to tell us that God doesn't care. He loves to tell us that we're all alone. He loves to tell us that how we are is how we'll always be. What he loves to tell us is that we are not loved. Those are lies that the enemy wants to use to destroy you. Another kind of lie that the enemy likes to use is to entice us. You know, the grass is always greener on the other side, isn't it? It's telling them, telling them Adam and Eve, using deceit, trying to show the grass is greener on the other side. He likes to use sweet temptation. He's like, this won't hurt you. No. This will satisfy you. This will make you happy. If you just had a bigger house, if you just had a bigger bank account, if your party was just in political power, all these temptation lies to get us to argue, to deceive us, to look for life in something other than Jesus. And when he whispers these lies and these temptations and he gets us to take a bite of that apple, oh, that's the worst of all. Because then he likes to accuse us. Listen to the enemy's accusation. Lisa, in her book, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, wrote this down, and I thought, man, we've got to share this. This is the whisper of the enemy. This is who you are. The enemy tries to lie and reshape our identity from a child of God to a hopeless sinner. This is who you are. You'll never escape the shame or be healed of this pain. You're just going to have to endure it. The best you can ever do is numb the pain. And I've got a few suggestions for how you can do that. The enemy loves us to live there. The other tactic the enemy loves to use is fear. Church, here's what I would tell you. I'll say it more than once in the weeks to come, Lord willing. Our nation is a nation living in fear. Don't believe me? Just talk politics. Turn on the news. Because half our country believes that so-and-so is not in office, we are hosed. And the other half of the country believes if so-and-so doesn't get into the office, we're host. And what is, what is the common denominator? Fear. Here's what I want you to know this morning. 
God has placed us in this moment in time. He has placed you. If you are a child of God, he has placed you on here on purpose. And if you're being lazy, I'm just going to say it, get off your lazy butt. Because the kingdom of God is not in jeopardy. It is not a political conversation. It is a kingdom conversation. And I don't care what kind of party you line up with, man. That's, that's for you to decide. Here's what I care. We are children of God before you're an elephant or a donkey. Lead people to the kingdom. And I'll show you how you can do that in the weeks to come. You will not want to miss it. It's a kingdom-oriented conversation. But fear is a powerful, powerful tactic. Look at the economy. Will my retirement last? Fear, you get this, this, this diagnosis that, you know, you're not going to make it out of here without experiencing death. None of us will. But man, for believers, if you read the kingdom of God, believers don't die. Followers of Jesus don't die. They just fall asleep here and wake up in the presence of God. See, we don't need to be afraid of anything except an eternity without God. He loves you. The other tactic that the enemy loves to use is discouragement. He loves to take our discouragements and twist it and then offer us something that he thinks will make us happy. Again, I love what Lisa says. This is what she said. She goes, dangerous desires birthed inside our unsettled disappointments are nothing but a setup for a takedown. This morning, if you showed up and you're looking at the other side of the fence, if you're looking at the other side of the pasture and the grass looks greener because you've got some unsettled disappointment in your life, don't buy the lie. The enemy is trying to set you up for a great, great takedown. Fight for your marriage. Fight for that relationship. Fight for truth. Speaking of fighting, God in his goodness has given us the path to win against these victories. Here's the first thing. It all trickles down from here. We can be victorious over the enemy and we can be victorious over the enemy's attacks. But it starts with a personal relationship with Jesus. I love what Paul tells the church in Rome. He says, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Getting your butt handed to you? Hey, you need Jesus. You see, Jesus is the only one who has overcome the enemy at every turn. He was God clothed in human flesh. And he took on our burdens. He faced all of the same temptations. And he was without sin. And it was God, it was Jesus who assumed our sins, our burdens. And he died on the cross for us. Let me ask you a question. What kind of God would sacrifice himself for a wicked humanity, a wicked creation, a sinful people? What kind of God would do that to himself? I'll tell you who. An all-powerful God, an all-loving God, an all-loving God would do that. And he loves you. And he doesn't leave us as we are. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And he offers forgiveness of sins through Jesus. Life is found in Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. See, we don't get a choice about having to walk through these two gardens. 
but we get a choice of how we walk through them. We can either be steamrolled by the enemy or we can walk with Jesus. Do not deceive yourselves this morning. I've been trying to get this right. I think I got it. Do not deceive yourself. If your life does not look like his, there may be a chance the enemy is deceiving you just because you showed up at church this morning. You see, there's this deal of walking with Jesus. Don't be deceived. You've got to walk with Jesus to experience that freedom. It starts with the prayer, but that's the, that's the starting point. And then we walk with him. And there's moments where Jesus is going to walk you into the fire so that your faith can be tested. Because through that testing and through that persevering, we'll be more beneficial, we'll be more useful in the kingdom. Jesus wants to carry your burdens this morning. He wants to help you fight those fights. He is a God who will fight for you. But if we're going to be victorious, we've got to walk with him. Second thing that God's given us to overcome the enemy's attacks is truth. What did Jesus say? I'm the way. I'm the way to the Father, but I'm also the truth. Jesus is truth, and he's given us his word. So let me share a few truths with you that you can have to defeat the enemy's attacks in your life. When fear comes knocking at your door, here's a truth for you. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. What did the author of Psalms mean? <clears throat> he meant when I'm afraid, I stop looking at my problem and I start looking at you, God. When you're afraid, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of power and of love and of discipline. Fears from the enemy. Put your trust in him. Take your attention off the fear. Put your hope, put your life, put your trust in him. Let me tell you this. When the enemy is whispering and you're tempted, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. To be tempted is not sinful. That's human. It's when we take it the next step and give in to that temptation, that's when it becomes full-blown sin. What did, what did Paul say? Here's what, I, here's what he just said. You're not, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are not a slave to sin. Some of us, when it comes to temptation, the, the struggle is so real, some of us just lay over and give in to it. And what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you this morning is that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are not a slave to sin. The next time you're tempted to gossip about somebody, you're not a slave to that gossip. Turn your attention to Jesus. Speak truth. Speak love. The next time, man, if, if you're tempted, and alcohol is that temptation, the next time you're, you're tempted for that, and it's a real deal in your life, you are not a slave to alcohol. Jesus Christ has set you free through his strength and his power, and he's given it to you. God will provide a way out. The next time the thought enters my mind, I would be happier if he wasn't in my life or she wasn't in my life, or I would be happier if she was in my life and he was in my life, and the enemy tries to dissolve that marriage. You are not a slave to those feelings or to those thoughts. You stand with Jesus, you let him fight those battles, and you fight for unity, you fight for healing. 
The next time you're tempted with pornography, you are not a slave to lust. God will make a way out for it. God has set you free. You do not have to roll over. The next time that you want to just tease somebody off, you're mad and you want to be angry and go off on them, what I would tell you or you're tempted with your temper, you are not a slave to your anger. The Spirit of God has given us a spirit of peace, of gentleness, of kindness. It doesn't mean can't express your thoughts, but there's a constructive way to do it. I would just tell you, you are no longer a slave to sin. And lastly, in this world, we're going to have troubles, but fear not, Jesus has overcome the world. That is not meant to take our, our struggles lightly because they're not light, and it's not supposed to be this way. There's some heavy things that we lift, but I want to remind you of the words of Paul. Paul says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that fires outweighs them all. The next time life is harder than you can bear, that it's more than you can stand, put your hope in Jesus and trust him. He will get you there. And when the enemy whispers his lies, you stand on the truth. You say, man, enemy... I have to walk in this garden, but I choose to stand with Jesus, and I choose to stand on his truth, and I'm going to walk, and I'm going to trust in that. And did you know that at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, the enemy has to flee because he cannot take that ground because the king of kings and the Lord of lords He's already taken that ground. Church, we may be under attack, but there's solid ground to walk in. You walk with Jesus in between these two gardens, and he'll carry you all the way home. The challenge this morning is really clear. It's to be alert. We're in a battle. But through Christ, we're more than conquerors. In Christ, we're more than conquerors. But you know people who are being conquered who are being dominated, who do not have the hope in the life that Jesus Christ promised. God has put you in their life for this moment. So as we leave this place today, you go. You go in Jesus' name. Declare victory in his name, and you talk about his kingdom to the people that need him most. Have Jesus conversations about the goodness of an all-loving, all-powerful God who wants to set people free. Pray this with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Man, may God, may your name be praised throughout all the world. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, starting right now in my life. Lord, use us to fight those. Lord, take us into those places where there's injustices. Help us be your hand and feet with people who need us most. Lord, we declare to you that we need our daily bread, whatever that is, from your wisdom to your provision, we need you, God, for absolutely everything. Thank you for forgiving us our sins. God, forgive us our sins, Lord. We'll humble ourselves before us. Lord, humble ourselves before you and say, I am a sinner in deep, deep need of you, God, in deep need of you. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who made a way where there was no other way. Help me forgive those 
who have sinned against me. Help us forgive those so that we can experience life, they can experience life. And everybody said, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. For thine is the kingdom, God. Thine is the power and thine is the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let's go live in victory this week.